Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville. We're glad that you guys have chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, my name is Jeff Sanders. I'm not David Jones. I got about a foot and a half on him, so. <laughs> I don't have any factoids, though, so you're relieved of that duty for a little while. But um, I want to say there's a connection card that's in the seat in front of you. If you have any needs or prayer requests or anything of that nature, uh, we, we're glad that you're visiting with us if you're here visiting. If you want to uh, drop us a line, you can put that on the connection card. Put that in the, the box uh, in the back between our two exit doors. That's our offering box. We don't pass a plate, but we take up offering through that means. So um, Also, uh, here when we release, the third three-year-olds through fourth graders are going to be released through those doors here. I ask that you uh, go. If you're new, you don't know where to drop them off. See where the, their class is, so you'll know where to pick them up after the service. So today we're going to wrap up John 1, 4. So uh, I'm going to read the uh, uh, passage is John 1, 4 through 5. And I'm reading out of the New English Translation. So in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines on in the darkness, but the darkness has not mastered it. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for you giving us your moral will. Thank you for giving up yourself for our, our forever, for our future, Lord. We love you. We thank you that you've given us the, the physical representation of these spiritual, spiritual truths of light and darkness. And for you dying on the cross for us, Lord, we are so grateful that you are the only true holy being. And through your death burial, and resurrection, we too can pursue a holy life. It's in Christ's name that I pray these things. Amen. Good morning, everybody. If you got your Bibles, open them to John chapter 1. Uh, your bulletin and, and the overhead said John 1, 4. And that was an oversight on my part. We're doing one, four, and five. Uh, so we're going to look at both those verses. They tie together because five begins with and. Therefore, it ties right back in with it. And so we're putting them together. And we're going to uh, look at them both this morning. We're doing a study through the Gospel of John. So if you're visiting with us, that's where we are. And... Uh, We've been in John since February and looking at the backdrop to it and following through with it. What we're on now, verses 1 through 18, is called the prologue to John. It is an introduction to the whole book of John. So it's laying some foundational truth. And then immediately following this, we're going to be jumping into the actual ministry of Christ. But what Christ is doing in the Gospel of John is he's presenting himself as God. He's making a clear declaration that he is God come in the flesh. And John says, that's the whole purpose of my book. My whole purpose of my book is to show you that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and that you might have faith in him and have life through him. And so this morning we're going to look at the fact that he is life and light for mankind. So join me as we pray. Father God, we come before your throne of grace and Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that is before us. We pray that you would grant us divine insight and understanding to your word. 
that you would direct me as I teach your word, keeping me from error, help me to rightly divide your word of truth and to explain it clearly and accurately. And then, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you would communicate to the hearts of your people and they would receive that word, make application in their life as you direct. So, Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity. Thank you for each person that's here. And pray, Father, that your word would impact their life in some capacity this morning. For your glory and honor, we do pray, God. Amen. We look here at this passage. We follow it through. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. When he says, in him was life, that, that usage of that word there is in an imperfect tense, and what it means is continual action. So the passage really, really, would read like this. In him was life. In him has always been life. And in him will always, forever and ever be life. It's been life since before time, and it will continue to be life throughout all eternity. He is eternal life. That's the way you would expound on that passage to make it clear. But note that it says, in him. That's speaking of positional truth, that in Christ is where we find life. The only way you can find life is in him, when you're placed in him. And when you come to faith in Christ, God supernaturally places you in him. That is your position. That is an eternal relationship that lasts forever. Your condition or your life is something that varies. But your condition is supposed to match up to your position. So you're to live a life that reflects who you truly are. And who you are is a believer in Christ Jesus. So being in Christ Jesus, you're to live a life that reflects that relationship is the idea. Now, what's the significance of this, of this two words here, in him? The significance is this. John is writing this letter in the midst of a culture that is inundated with Greek philosophy. Even though they were under the control of Rome, the Roman Empire conquered the Greek Empire and took it over. And like they do in all these things when they conquer, they bring that culture with them. They didn't replace that Greek culture. That Greek culture inundated the Roman culture. And so the Roman culture of that day had a strong influence from Greek, and the Greek influence was the philosophy of men. If you go back and study that time and that period of human existence, it was controlled by Greek thought and Greek philosophy and Greek ideas. And so everyone that lived there in that day and time, they were caught up in this mindset. The only exception of that would be the religious Jews that lived in that day. And the religious Jews that lived in that day had a religion that they had over time taken what God had presented as truth and had transformed it into something that was manageable for them. In other words, they would take the law and they would shave and, and portion the law 
to where they could actually keep the law and view themselves as being righteous as compared to other people. So they had a work system of righteousness, whereas the Greek system of belief was built upon human thought. And so all uh, deviations or outcomes of that would be people believing that man could think up of a way to God, or you could go the Jewish path and work your way to God, but John says it's in him. See, it's completely different than the systems that existed in that day and time. Salvation is in the person of Christ. It's not through human reasoning. It's not through the thoughts of man. And it's not through a works righteousness whereby you strive to meet some standard that God has. Salvation is in faith in Christ and you are placed in Christ. And when you are in Christ, you have the salvation of God is what you have. So he says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now the word here for life is the word Zoe. And the word most often refers to supernatural life. And so many times it is translated eternal life is how it's translated in Scripture. The, the, the words eternal life are used 41 times in the New Testament. You will find that usage 41 times in the New Testament. And 15 times that it is used out of 41, it's in the Gospel of John. Six times that it's used, it's in the Epistle of John. So 6 and 15 is 21. That means over half the times that it's used in the Bible, it's used by John. It is a very central idea in the writings that John puts forth and that John presents. So let's look at some usages of it here. Look in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 21. In John 5 and 21... In time, put it up on the screen if you don't have the Bible, will you? John 5 and 21. Okay. It says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. That's the Zoe. He gives that supernatural life. Look at verse 26. For as the Father has life in Himself... So he has granted the Son to have life in himself. John 11 and 25. John 11 and 25. Jesus, Jesus says in John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Now, as I was doing notes on this and writing some various things on my computer, every time I would type in the life, the computer would highlight it and I'd hover over it. It would say, take out the the, put just life. That was so foreign to the thought. But Jesus is very specific. The word of God is very specific. 
The life of God is found in Christ. It is called the life. Look, if you will, at John 14 and 6. John 14 and 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Note what he says, I am the life. And when I was putting that, that passage up there, that Microsoft Word would sit there and say, no, it is life, no thee. And I had to go back and correct it every single time. He's talking about a specific life. He's not talking about life in general. He's talking about the life. And the life that he's talking about is the eternal life that is found solely in the person of Christ. Look at 1 John in the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. 1 John 5 and 11. 1 John 5 and 11 says, And this... And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. So we see there very clearly that life is found in the person of Christ. You will notice something else. I'm going to go back to John. You notice something else about this passage. He is the life and the light. And he's going to contrast that all through the gospel there in opposition to death and darkness. So life and light is contrasted with death and and darkness. In addition, John makes a connection between life and light, just like he does the Word was God. You look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So you see, he's saying that not only is Jesus Christ creator of all that is physical. He is the source of eternal life, which speaks to all things spiritual. He's covering the whole realm here. This passage also very closely parallels Genesis 1.1. If you look at Genesis 1.1, you will see that it says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. You look here. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not comprehend it. You have a very close parallel with the book of Genesis. Just like God created the heavens and the earth, spoke them into existence, John says the same thing. He spoke the world into existence. The word of God brought it into existence. Just like that previous world had physical darkness, this current world has spiritual darkness. 
And just like God brought light into that physical world, God brings light into that spiritual realm. And it is the same one bringing light in both places. It's the same one creating in both places. He shows the parallel in this passage and reveals that. Life was light in the same way as the Word was God. Jesus is that light. Look at John 8, 12. John 8, 12 Jesus speaking again, and it says this. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So we see that light and life are paralleled here, and he's not talking about physical light, and he's not talking about physical life. He's talking about spiritual light and he's talking about spiritual life is what he is talking about. The Old Testament in Psalm 36, 9. I'm going to read a passage from there. Psalm 36, 9 says this. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. God is the source of light and life. And this word for light here that's used in this passage is the word phos, and it means to shine is what it means. But he's not talking about a physical shining. He's not talking about that. He's talking about Jesus is the one that brings revelation into the world that we're in. Look at John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So it is Jesus that reveals to us who God is. It is Jesus that shows us who God is. It is Jesus who gives us that light. So it says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. So what is the darkness that we see here? The darkness that we see here is the word skatos. That's the word, and it means sinful darkness. He's not talking about physical darkness, and he's not talking about physical light. He's talking about spiritual darkness, and he's talking about spiritual light. And so when Jesus comes into the world, he comes into the world and reveals God. Where is the world? The world is in sin. The world's in darkness. And when this light comes, what does the world do? The world runs from the light. Because see, the darkness can't overcome the light. The light always overcomes the darkness. And Jesus is always shining that light. Therefore, mankind is opposed to what God does, is, is, is opposed to all that God is. Because man is in darkness. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, I want to read a couple of passages out of there and the relationship that he shows between the believer and the unbeliever. Look at Ephesians 4.17. Ephesians 4.17. Ephesians 4.17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk 
as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Remember what I told you at the outset. What was the condition of the world that John wrote this in? It was controlled by Greek philosophy or, or controlled by a works religion. And so as Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, which was up in what we call modern day Turkey, Ephesus was a strong, very strong Greek influenced culture. And so he tells those people, don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And they were trying to reason life from human thinking, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to licentiousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. So he tells these believers, don't live in a realm of darkness. You are children of light. You have been brought to life by God. Look at Ephesians 5 and look at verse 7 in the book of Ephesians 5. He says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Light is the revelation of God. And so when we live our life, we live our life not in accordance with what our mind thinks, not in accordance with what the world dictates, but in accordance with what God has revealed because that is the light of God. The Word is the light of God, and it's in the Word, the light of God, that we have life. That's how we experience life is through the light that God shines. But this darkness that's in the world, you see this all throughout Scripture. I mean, over and over and over again in Scripture, you see it being presented. Look in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 19. He tells us about this darkness. John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. Not light in general, but the light, the revelation of God has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So what we have is we have Jesus coming into a, a world that is in darkness. And he comes as the life of God and as the light of God. And he reveals through his person what God is like in a dark world. And what does the world do? John 3, 19 tells you. Men love darkness rather than light. So what you're going to see in the gospel of John, as you see also in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, is that when Jesus comes, people don't embrace Jesus. They resist Jesus. They turn from him. Why? Because they are in darkness and their deeds are evil. 
God exposes the darkness with his light. When it talks about his light coming in the world, it means his light shines and continues to shine and doesn't stop shining. You can't quench the light. You can't put the light out. So as we look here, he says, the, I'm back in John 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. That word comprehend is the word kata lambano and kata, you like that word? Kata lambano? Write that one down. Kata stresses the intensity of it, okay? The word lambano means to grasp or to understand. So what he is doing is he is intensifying that word. He says this, the darkness has no possible way, none whatsoever, to comprehend light. It is the direct opposite of light. It shuns the light. It runs from the light. It hates the light because the light simply reveals evil. Folks, the world that we live in is in darkness. And the world has a natural animosity towards the truth of God. Why do you think people react so strongly when the truth of God is proclaimed? Because the truth of God shines light on the darkness. And if you don't have that light shining, then you can be comfortable in your darkness. But when that light starts shining, that light exposes the darkness, exposes the evil. So when Jesus comes into the world and begins his ministry, it is God, very God, walking in the presence of evil man. And when all he has to do is walk into an area and animosity and hate is going to be directed towards him because he is revealing the darkness of mankind. He reveals the sin of mankind. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the life of the world. And that life and that light is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not found in religion. It's not found in anyone's activity. It's not found in any of that. It can only be found in the person of Christ because Christ reveals who God is and all that God is. When God called Paul to preach, turn to Acts 26. And we're going to look at verse 15, but I'm going to give you a, a little jump start on it. Paul was called by God when Paul was a very evil man. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a leader in the Jewish community. And he was one of the foremost. Well, he, according to his own testimony, he says, I was the foremost persecutor of the way. Meaning, he persecuted Christianity more than anyone else did. Paul was the type of person that if this church, if we existed in the time of Paul, Paul would be the type of person that'd pull up in a parking lot here and come into the church with a bunch of armed men and would drag people out here in the front parking lot and execute them right out here in front of the church. He would, he would tie you up in chains and take you to be executed is what he would do. Now, if someone did that in our day and time, you would view them as one of the most evil people in the world. I mean, you look at what happened just yesterday, for example. 
over in Israel where the Palestinians bombed the Jews on one of their religious holy days. That's what evil does. Evil wants to bring pain and horror into people's lives. That's what Paul did. Paul was a master of that. Paul was an evil, evil man. And Paul was on the road to Damascus with letters to go drag Christians out of the church there in Damascus. And as he's going down the road with his little entourage, a bright light shines on that road and Paul falls off of his donkey and he's blinded in the middle of the desert. And then he hears a loud voice proclaiming in that darkness that he was in, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The voice of God speaking to him as he's on that road. You can imagine the terror in Paul as he's blind and he's feeling around that road and God speaking to him like that, and God gives him a, a special proclamation. Look at it. Let's back up to verse 14. Acts 26, 14. Pop that up on the screen. And when, when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You know what a goad is? A goad on a chariot or a wagon, a goad was a sharp metal prong that was put on the front of that wagon. And the purpose of it was for when they had ox, and they normally had oxen, pulling that wagon, the common tendency of an ox, and in, and in some cases horses too, is to kick back because either they feel the pressure pulling on them and they kick back. And when they kick back, they'll hit the front of that cart and most of their carts were made out of wood and an ox and a horse, if you look at the rump, they have a massive um, rump on them. Extremely powerful. You say, well, I got a massive rump on me too, but, <laughs> but I'm not powerful, but, but no. Their massive rump was solid muscle. And when they kick on that cart and they hit that cart, eventually what they'd do is tear it up and the cart would break. So what they would do to stop those animals from doing that is they would put goads on the front of that cart. And goads would be a line of spikes that were extremely sharp that were put on the front of that. When that ox or horse would kick back, they would hit that sharp thing and it would cause pain. And the idea was to lessen that. So when, when Jesus tells Saul, he says, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goads. In other words, you want to break the cart, but the pain is too much. The application is, you're trying to destroy my kingdom and my church, and you can't do it, bud. That's the modern translation, what that means. That's what he means, kicking against the goads. It's hard to do that. It's hard to resist God. You're fighting God, Paul. You need to stop what you're doing. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, he was, he was going after Christians, but note something. Jesus so identifies with believers that what we do to one believer is the same thing as doing to Jesus. That'll teach you to be nice to other Christians. Because when you're ugly to them, yeah, you're being ugly to them and you're getting your point across. But 
It's just like you're doing it to Jesus. He so identifies with his people. He's saying, you're doing it to me. But rise and stand on your feet because I'm going to kill you right now for what all you've done to my Christian brothers and sisters. It doesn't say that. Well, look what it says. Look what Jesus said. He says, but rise and stand on your feet for I've appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which have not yet revealed to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. Now remember at the outset what I tell you the culture was dominated by? Religious Jews and Gentiles inundated with Greek philosophy. When Saul comes to present the light, what's going to happen? The light is your only hope of life is in the person of Christ. And when you present that, Paul, those Gentiles that buy into Greek philosophy, they're going to come after you. Those Jews that believe in a works-based religion, they're going to come after you. But you know what? I'm going to deliver you from that. If it was not for me, Paul, you would be destroyed because you are my vessel. You are my minister to do what? Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So he says, Saul, you're going to present the light of God, and it's that light that's going to deliver the people that are under the influence of Greek philosophy and the people that are under the influence of religion to what the true light is. Who is that true light? John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. It's none other than the person of Christ. And he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. For the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Man's heart is shrouded in darkness and it takes Jesus coming in the world to deliver man from his darkness. And yet when he comes into the world, the whole world is going to come against the person of Christ because he is light and he is the life of God. And what he's saying in this passage is, if you want life, the only place life is found is in Christ. If you want to know God, that's what light is, light is the revelation of God. Why do people live in sin? Because they live their life according to religious mandates or according to the thoughts of man. And the only way to live light or live life is through the revelation of God. That's what he's saying in this passage, that he was life and the life was the light of men. When it says he was life, I told you, that's the imperfect tense. It means that he was the life, 
He is the life. He always has been the life. He is the only source of life. What he is saying in this passage, folks, is the only hope for eternal life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that can deliver you from darkness but him. For he is life and he is the light of men. Jesus comes in the world and he destroys darkness simply by his presence. Because the darkness cannot overcome the light. The light always overcomes darkness. You darken this place up, make it as pitch black as you want to, and you strike a little lighter in here and you watch how bright and lightful it is in here. You come here like your Christmas Eve service and they darken the room and we start lighting the candles. You notice how that light overtakes the darkness. The darkness can never overtake light. Light will always dominate darkness. Always. And it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. The light of God will overcome all darkness. What is the light of God? The light of God is the person of Christ. Who is the person of Christ? He is the word of God. What is the word of God? The word of God is the revelation of God. It is the revelation of who God is. And that's what Christ is. Christ is the light and the life of man. And there is nothing found relating to life or light apart from him. He is the sole source of it. Because man can't figure it out. But God presents it to man. What's man do? Just like cockroach. We flip the light on what's man do? Runs like a cockroach. Now, I'm not saying you're a cockroach if you don't believe in God, but you act like a cockroach. You run from the light. That's just natural. That's, what, that's a natural response. So Jesus comes into the world. He is light and the life of mankind. And the darkness does not comprehend that. Jesus is the only hope for the world that we live in, folks. He is the only hope. Jesus was not just some Bedouin shepherd that roamed around the countryside and had a great following. He is God come in the flesh. He veiled himself in a human body, but yet he reveals God to the world around him. You look to Christ and you find life. You look to Christ and you find light. And when you walk in the light, you will not have darkness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the light that you bring into the world. And this light is the life of man. And Father, we know that it's the person of Christ. That the only hope that we have as individuals is Christ. The only hope this world has is Christ. Because Christ is the light and he is the life. And it is in him that we understand you and that we ha have eternity. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done through Christ, and we praise his name. Amen.